0: Everybody. Once again, I'm Bob Ramsey. That's Matt Rocchio. It's the two-man game here on Claves Online. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing great, Raymer. How are you? Well, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and um, I'm here. My broadcast partner, Earl Austin Jr., is here. Uh, I have to assume the Richmond Spiders are here, but I can confirm that the Billikens are not here.
1: Oh, uh, no. They, they uh, decided to come in a little... Uh... A little late for the game tomorrow?
0: Com- uh, completely by accident. Earl and I flew commercial uh, and took off in the window this morning. Actually, it worked out good for St. Louis in that um, it wasn't sleeting or snowing during the morning commute. Yeah. Our plane took off at 930. The Billikens weren't so fortunate. I think they're in the air and maybe landing soon, may have just landed. Um I'll keep everyone updated. I, You know, there has been a little bit of uh, annoyance with the way that a couple of teams have had to play their COVID postponements out. And while a couple of other teams have not had to make those games up. Not that the competition is an issue, but the schedule, a compacted, a compressed schedule is an issue.
1: Yeah, and then having so to deal see... with a, a canceled flight just within that window is just, that's unfortunate for the Billiken. I out. would just say,
0: well, the weather's too bad. We can't get out. Wouldn't that be something?
1: Um, well, so... it, it, it's funny you say that because there is, it, it kind of breaks um, kind of two ways for, for Slew because while the the daunting schedule is clearly wearing on them a little bit here at the end, the fact that they could essentially p- take that fourth spot for the double buy in the A-10 by a half game should the schedule break their way, it actually could end up, you know, kind of being in their advantage because VCU can't, you know, they can't they can't be tied with VCU, which would be um sorry, the uh, St Bonaventure. They can't be tied with St Bonaventure, who would obviously win the tiebreaker. So if they can win these last three games, it actually might be something that breaks their way.
0: Yeah, I think mathematically you're right. I think St Bonaventure is playing pretty well. I expect I fully expect them to win the rest of their games. Um, I think they can slip they could even go all the way to second place I think Um, I think there'll be a lot on the line for SLU and VCU well all three games will will be very very important Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot on the line which takes us to well before we get to tomorrow's game against Richmond let's back it up a little bit and I wanted to get your thoughts you were at the game the other night
1: yeah, and I, and I thought that was a, in a lot of different ways, I thought that was a very good game. Obviously, the way that they were able to to spread the ball around, and I think the biggest thing that, that I took away from uh, the coaches' show on Monday, I uh, went back and listened to that, uh, and you talked about this as well, was the my turn shots on offense a, as being one of the biggest problems in D. And I thought that Monday's, I thought Tuesday's game was a very good example of how much better they could be in the second half. It's yeah. a great example of second half changes because Travis said it. He goes, we were still taking a little bit too many of those my turn shots in the first half. But in the second half, the way that the offense was able to completely st- – Get, you know, get into their groove, they were able to start running, they were able to start spreading the ball around, different guys were scoring, and I thought that was a really impressive um, kind of example of Slew fighting through some bad shots early to really get the offense going later, and it's kind of been the opposite way. You know, aside from that initial first pump they got from Yuri hitting those early threes, I really thought right. everything we saw offensively in the second half was better than almost anything we saw in the first half. And that was one of my big yeah. takeaways.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think uh, and um, you needed to beat St. Joe and do it convincingly, and you did. Um, but they're a game bunch. And you could see how, and you you go on their schedule, and there were a couple of games where they're making shots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they can jump up and bite somebody. And so they had to play well in the second half. To um, sort of emotionally and by score keep Saint Joe's at bay, I thought the, they had. I thought Saint Joseph's had a couple of nice weapons, and um, uh, so the second half was not just good to see aesthetically, but um, they needed it as well. I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's really the game. I think you know, it was one of those situations where I think fans were. were bothered by the fact that the game was that close, you know, at halftime. But, you know, more so than the offense, I really thought the, you know, the biggest shift and again, it was a huge shift at halftime. That's why they were able to really take that game over completely differently in the second half. The defense is also something that jumped out to me because they were for I want to say maybe the 5th or 6th game in a row, I guess maybe take out LaSalle. It was just the team's it felt like the team was able to walk into the paint at will against the St. Louis defense, and there was a marketable difference between how easily St. Joseph was getting into the paint in the second half as opposed to the first. Yeah, cleaned so, it up. Yeah, yeah, they completely cleaned it up. It was so sloppy, you know, in, in that first half. It was crazy how easily guys were getting into the paint. But when you looked at the paint touches, just the amount of times they actually got the ball in the paint, it was, you know, they were right there with Slew in the first half. Slew completely outplayed them in that, in that manner in the second half, not just scoring in the paint, but the actual ability for the offense to continually facilitate the ball through the paint, whether... it was to Martin Linson, uh, and then kind of a dribble handoff, whether they were getting it to Francis Socorro, you know, deep in the post for a a post look and things like that. I just was very impressed with how they completely changed both the paint, offense, and defense in the second half. It's been such a problem, and it's going to be something they fix going forward, because it's clearly, I think, the biggest issue on this team right now. So, overall, just seeing that kind of second half change from a team that we then continually talk to Travis and find out they are dead when it comes to their legs because of the schedule they're having right now. The fact that they're able to have a stronger second half, I think is a good sign kind of going forward here in the stretch run.
0: I hope so. And you can even tell, even though free throws weren't a factor, uh, the Billikens have been the best free throw shooting team in the, in the league and one of the best in the country. And you can see that that's one of the really, when you've got a good free throw shooting team, and then, and, and they then they're not hitting them. It, a lot of it you can attribute to dead legs. Not always, but um, but it fits my narrative, so I'm going with it. Um, and and, and also,
1: Travis Travis has not been shy at all in, in talking about just how difficult this yeah. schedule has been for them, and how they're they're trying to adapt to, to game planning without practice. They're trying to you know adapt with you know trying to win games you know based off what they're showing teams on tape without being able to implement anything else and, and, you know, just being able to do walkthroughs and things like that. And so Travis has talked about just how grueling this schedule has been for them. So, you know, some people might see that as as us trying to, you know, grasp at straws for anything positive or, or, you know, just kind of like rolling with a narrative. But I mean, when you see how just racked this team is, you know, just how tired they are, that's, that's not nothing.
0: And so two more things and then we can move on to the Richmond game, but one, I don't want to have a, a recency bias, um, but I keep thinking that Francis Zakoro keeps getting better and better and better, small increments maybe, but the graph is going up. He had a, a near dominant game, uh, especially second half making adjustments. As you pointed out accurately, I think pick and roll and interior defense and things is something um that continues to be um, on the lesson plan, but he, uh, um, as his confidence grows and uh, his handle gets more sure, um, he is he is uh, has already become and will be a force in the Atlantic Ten.
1: No doubt. And and if you're St. Louis, I would be just hammering it down that you know into this team that within the first five possessions, we need to get Yuri a good look from three and we need to get Francis um, at least two touches in the paint. Just like it, yeah. you know, things like that because I really do think this has been a confidence that we talked about it last episode. And I think getting him so many deep paint touches where he can confidently get his offensive looks. I think I think we it breeds the confidence through Francis Coro, and then he's more active on the defensive end. He has more confidence on the defensive end. Because I think there's too many times where he gets passive on the defensive end. He gets stuck into those dead zones, as we talked about, especially on the pick and roll. And it's not because of athleticism. It's not because of his feel for the offense or his feel his, you know, basketball IQ, his feel for, for how to play defense out there. It's just because I think he has confidence issues when he has a bad touch or he fumbles the ball or he gets a he gets you know he gets one post touch within a you know 12 possession run and the only way and the only way that post touch ended is that he missed his little jump hook and now he doesn't get another opportunity and it affects him defensively and i think that's what we saw um against St. Joseph is in that when you feed him early and he's able to get a couple early buckets it just builds the confidence for him because i think you know more so with a guy like Nesbitt you know we've talked a lot about you know how young he is but i think Right off the bat, we just kind of forgot how young Francis Socorro is. And just, and you know, he, he was in the starting lineup after Linson got hurt. We were like, okay, that's Francis Socorro. He's a starting player for you now. Just completely forgetting the, the context of how really young the kid is. And so I've been very impressed with how he stepped up the last couple of games. Uh, and again, obviously, against St. Joseph, I thought he was huge. Uh, talking to him after the game, he also understood the fact that sometimes he can be a little bit passive. Sometimes he can, you know, he can think a little bit too much when he's out there. And so I thought that was good that he was able to admit that and honestly if he's able to keep his head down if they're able to get him started early he can be a factor in these games going forward there's no doubt about that
0: and the other thing is I can't recall 40 years in division one ever having a play of the game that didn't involve a basket and um, it's been on Twitter and YouTube we've talked about on radio and television um, second half Yuri Collins um, dives to make a steal and if you by the way if you do that, you better make the steal.
1: Yeah, Otherwise,
0: true. you're out of the play, and it's five on four. Dives and makes his dives, tips the ball away. Give the St. Joe's player credit. He dives on him. They wrestle. The ball squirts loose toward the Billiken basket. They both get up, run, dive again, roll over. Yuri secures it and gets a timeout. Um,
1: I loved that play
0: so that, much. That's the stuff that you – and I know I know Travis has already done it you show your team you show recruits you show your fans this is who we want to be as a team this is what desire and toughness and all those things it's all about it's not it's not verbiage because here it is right here in this clip and um and uh, uh Yuri Collins was magnificent
1: yeah, that was just such an incredible play. And again, my biggest thing with Yuri right now is just how differently this offense plays if he gets an early bucket. It's it's insane. Yeah. It's insane how different this offense plays possession after possession when one of the first buckets in the game is a Yuri Collins 3. I don't know. It, and and I'm, it changes the way he plays the game, and it changes the way the defense respects his shot and therefore respects everything else around him. Honestly, if he doesn't get those early buckets, I don't know how much differently that St. Louis offense looks against St. Joseph or how long it really takes them to get their groove in because – yeah, um, I also thought Saint Joseph was a great example of uh, some of the things we've said uh, about Gibson Jimerson because there was an instance I, uh, in in late in the second uh, half in that game where Gibson got called for an off-ball foul on defense and that was the most ironic thing I've seen in my entire life. And then like two <laughs> and then like two possessions later, it gets worse. Two possessions later, a Saint Joseph's player has their arm completely wrapped around Gibson when he's coming I remember around the, the screen. And it was right in front of Travis, who's standing right next to an official. And as as Gibson comes around the screen and the entire arm of the Hawk is around him, Travis literally jumped up and down in front of the referee like, Are you kidding me? It's right there. We're seeing it. Two possessions ago. You just called the kid for the exact same thing on the other end. What is happening here? It continues to happen and the fact that there was what there was one perfect moment where Travis I mean literally jumped up and down because it happened right in front of him in the in the ref. I can't believe that we're this late in the season talking about one of the top scorers in the league and yet still the conversation is he can't get a call offensively. And, and now we add in the fact that somehow defensively he's getting the call against him the other way.
0: Having said that, and I agree with everything you said, because it was Travis is right there in front of me as well on an angle. To see the play. Um The, uh I thought it was the best officiated game I've seen in a long, long time.
1: Oh yeah. I thought it was a very nicely officiated game. Yeah. They, they, they really did uh kind of hold their whistles for any, you know, incident, you know, kind of contact that was happening that wasn't egregious, really didn't garner that many whistles. I thought it was, I thought you're you're right, it was overall a pretty well-officiated game.
0: Yeah, and moreover, I thought, and I talked to Ted Valentine, and uh, I talked to him about it, and I talked to him about how I thought that one of the key reasons was it was clear that the three of them, the three officials worked together. And he affirmed that and said that, uh, or confirm that anyway he told me that yes, that was right and those guy and that he goes we've been officiating together a lot we know each other and I think that is a real key and something that all league officials, not just the a10 whoever it is, how often can we get guys that you know crews to work together throughout a season um in non-conference play, You know, it's, it's, you get who you get. But in conference play, let's work harder to get crews together. Uh, I think it makes a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a good point. When you saw uh, Ted Valentine working out before the game, I was like, okay, this is, I I was excited to see exactly how this game got called because the guy's a freaking legend. Um, Yep. He's also very fun to watch pregame. I've never, I don't think I've ever actually like taken time to watch. Like the refs warming up and stuff before pregame thing, but Valentine he had this method- he had this methodical routine that was honestly kind of fun to watch before the game. So uh, I, was- t-
0: I I talked to him about that too, and he said he said he changed his life around four or five years ago, and he's he's in the best shape of his life. He said, and at his age, getting up and down the floor. Um, I also I didn't uh, make a big deal about this to him, but I I did say. You look happy. You look like you're having fun. Often throughout his career, that might all, not always have been the case. And uh, uh, I, I think he's I think he's really doing a great job these days. I, I really, really do. Hey, let's move forward to um, to Richmond. Billikens beat Richmond. I believe it was the first uh, conference game of the year for SLU. SLU played very well. Um, yeah, yeah, they did. It, they're going to really have to play good- w- Yeah, and and to be able to do that here in Richmond um, tomorrow night is going to be a real challenge. Uh, Richmond's trying to climb out of the morass of the middle of the pack, and, you know, with three games left, they think they can can catch sleuth. They think they can get to the fifth spot. And if they catch some breaks, who knows? Um, Chris Mooney's a terrific coach. There's no chance that they've given up on the year, even though they're in the middle of the pack.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. It's going to be interesting because it's kind of the complete opposite feeling we had. Because if you remember, before they played Richmond, it was the Auburn game, and then a, and then that was the break. That was the COVID. That was kind of the COVID break there. That that happened this year, obviously not as long as uh, the previous year, but they had a, a long one. So a long rest leading into Richmond and now it's all to, so many games and a short schedule leading into the second Richmond game so kind of a completely different atmosphere for St. Yeah. St. Louis coming into this game but they're going to have to play a good game they're going to have to play another good game because the things that St. Louis has unfortunately started to kind of let slip in this in this late schedule are the exact kind of things that Richmond's going to be able to take advantage of. The fact that you're having trouble letting teams score in the paint too much is exactly what Tyler Burton, Grant Golden, Nathan Cayo, you know, the, that's what these guys want to see and that's that's the that's the kind of game they can take advantage of. And that's you know, we're not even talking about the fact that you have one of the best point guards in the league uh, especially defensively in Gilliard and and you got Sherrod who, you know, hit a couple big shots against Slew in that game. And so that's my big question, is they didn't have a, an answer alone for Tyler Burton. They were able to, as a team, kind of overcome yeah. his big game. But I also thought the big difference from that first game is that Grant Golden had a really strong first half, and then slow, slowed down in the second half a lot. So my question is, with the way we've seen big men score against slew over the last month, is this going to be a completely different game where Grant Golden's able to get his shot consistently? And that could be a huge problem. So, I mean, honestly, if St. Louis is able to continue some of the defensive changes we saw in the second half against St. Joseph's, this is this could be a game that breaks their way early. But if we see any of the defensive issues that we've seen over the last month, then Burton, Golden, and those guys could could jump out to a pretty sizable lead, I think.
0: A couple of things. Golden doesn't want to mix it up inside.
1: That's a good point. But
0: if he's able to draw his defender out because he's making shots or even just taking shots, then to go past them and get looks inside or more likely – Screening and rolls and going to the basket, knowing that there's not a big guy waiting on there to beat up on him, that that could be a big factor. Um, look at home; they're going to make shots. They're going to make shots, and they're going to get on some runs. How do you weather those storms? One of the they're going to make free throws. They're going to get to the free throw line. How do you weather all that? Well, you've got to be able to get to the line. You've got to demonstrate to the officials that. You're getting fouled, too. I'm not saying you flop or do anything like that, but you've got to be strong going to the basket. Yeah. And you can't turn it over. Can you Can you keep it at 10 or 11 turnovers? With Gilliard out there, it's really hard. But can you stay a dozen or less
1: even, let's say?
0: If you can do yeah. that.
1: Go ahead. It's funny you say that because literally when you look at the, the first matchup that slew one – they only shot 30% from three. Uh, you, they both slew and Richmond went 15 of 20 from the charity stripe, and despite Jacob Gilliard having four individual steals, St. Louis only had nine total turnovers. So I mean that that is that is that is you know that's chapter yeah. and verse the exact things that broke their way against Richmond back in January that. Are going to have to break this way again, and so that that's a a big thing here. Again, when we talk about you know the paint scoring and things like that, jumping back really quickly, they got outscored, paint points twenty to ten in the first half against St. Joseph's. That's it was awful. They finished the game outscoring St. Joseph's forty to thirty, so they completely flipped the script on them in the second half. So can they? And that
0: wasn't. And I was going to say, let me add to that. Wasn't an accident. You and I haven't really talked about it much, but I've seen people want to criticize it, not making adjustments. Clear adjustments were made in the St. Joe's game, and that's a really good sign because teams are going to do things different. Teams are going to try and shake it up. Chris Mooney has a a very uh, inscrutable offense anyway. And so being able to follow a game plan, execute it, and then be able to make adjustments um, as, as the ebb and flow of the game goes. Also very critical in my view.
1: Yeah. So can they make the you know can they keep some of those same adjustments? Can they make some adjustments on the fly? Francis Coro is obviously going to be huge. We just talked about Grant Golden. Can he step out, cover Grant Golden on the perimeter without losing himself and allowing other guys to get him behind him and kind of then let Grant Golden throw some silky passes, which he's been known to do. He had a couple against SLU uh, in their last game. So that's obviously Francis Okoro is going to be huge, like you said, on that pick and roll, on that pick and pop. And then the other one's going to be Jordan Nesbitt, Fred Thatch, TJ Hargrove. How are, are they able to keep Tyler Burton from having a big game while being incredibly efficient? That's the big thing with Burton is, yes, he can be a volume scorer, but the question is how many times does he have to shoot it yeah it, it, it was exactly the wrong formula in the last game he had 24 points on just 13 shots you want to get you want to see that hot that shot counter maybe a little bit higher that point to counter a little bit lower and yeah. so can they have a better game against him off you know defensively that's going to be the big question that's that's going to be the big thing for me you know at, at every point in these St. Louis games because yes we know the offense can get into some bad runs but at, at at its best, we know what the offense can be. I still do not know if we know what this defense can be when these guys are actually playing the scheme exactly the way that Travis and company want it to be played. And so that's my yeah. biggest thing, especially in a game like Richmond. We talked about it last time we they played them. Have they hit a little bit of a ceiling? I it seems that Richmond really has. And I think that that was a conversation we had back in January that is was was very prescient in that it looks like they really have kind of hit a ceiling, but that ceiling is still a very dangerous basketball. It's a good team. ceiling, and so and so you can't take it for granted. And so I think it's a good thing in that both of the early week games in the last two weeks we saw huge swings in halftime of those games, the second St. Bonaventure's game and then St. Joseph's. Yeah, the second St. Bonaventure game didn't break your way, but when you talk about the difference between the first half and the second half, when you talk about the difference between the first half and the second half of the St. Joseph's game, that has given me a lot more confidence that Travis Ford and his coaching staff can make the adjustments on the fly when the things they want to work aren't yet working. That's I, I think, it was a legitimate complaint from people earlier in the season that the halftime adjustments weren't – up to snuff or, or other coach or the opposing team was kind of seeming to win the game in the adjustments at halftime. That hasn't been the case over the last two weeks. I've loved the adjustments St. Louis has made. And so I, act, I honestly have a lot of confidence that they can carry over that second half defensive performance from St. Joseph's into a very crucial game against Richmond. My final
0: thought on tomorrow's game is can the Billikens ugly it up without sending uh, Richmond to the line 30 times? Yeah if they can keep their free throw attempts down and really make it a physical game, I, I, I that's where I like the Billiken chances. I don't know. I don't know. That's why we got to play the game. Right. Um, so that'll be tomorrow here in Richmond. So for the NBA come out of the all-star break, I, I believe, uh, Jason Tatum for the Celtics has started off red hot. Um, how, how are these first games back? How uh, How are things lining up as we get into the official second half?
1: Well, tonight Jason Tatum had a 30-piece to open up the second half of the season against the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Kyrie Irving not yet back, but it looks like with the way the testing is changing in New York City that Kyrie Irving is going to be back. So the Nets look like once they get Kevin Durant back, they're going to be at full bore. But right now, without Kyrie Irving, without Kevin Durant, um, Jason Tatum put up a 30-piece and, I mean, Boston absolutely just shellacked Brooklyn earlier today, which isn't surprising. Again, the Celtics have kind of flipped the script because that defense is yep. starting to really play well, and the offense is starting to kind of work its way back. So, yeah, you're right. Tatum's coming out red hot, and the Celtics are a completely different team they were in, say, November.
0: You – uh maybe I didn't hear it. You didn't mention Simmons with uh... – Oh, uh,
1: yeah, I didn't actually He's – he's been playing okay. I mean, he's been playing his game. Uh, the problem is, I think, the thing – Simmons is going to come out of his shell once they start actually being able to get the offense in there. They're going to be able, okay. to win, which is that's think, being a wise
0: like, guy. But I was being a wise guy. But that that is actually a very serious and um, uh, good, uh, excellent point.
1: Yeah, and and he actually wasn't. He come off okay, so it looks like he was actually out tonight because of a conditioning issue right now. Yeah. So he was so he he didn't he he was not in tonight for them. So I just think that we talked about him. He's a, he's a unicorn in in a, in a weird way. He can't shoot the ball, and so right now, just having guys like Seth Curry and company, you know, in, in there, I just don't think we're we're gonna see. Uh, this offense. Seth Curry. Patty Mills had a terrible game, which is kind of shocking. But Andre Drummond, honestly, that's I think the the acquisition if you want to talk about the Nets right now. That's interesting And in that Andre Drummond for a while, you know, he, he could get you 20 and 20 in in a game and and barely be a factor. It's been the, it was the weirdest thing. I mean, he would have 25 rebound games and and you could have watched the entire game and barely even recognize that Andre Drummond was out on the court because it, it was it was just the emptiest of stats at times on bad teams. But this is the the great thing about basketball. Guys can go from putting up empty stats on bad teams and looking like they're just going through the motions, and then you put them on a team with a bunch of talented players who want to win, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you're 6'11", you're only 28 years old. Somehow Andre Drummond, I feel like, he's been in the league for 10 years, and he's only 28. That's how being 18 when you come in works. It just is weird because I feel like Andre Drummond's been here forever. Um and, and so he has been an interesting acquisition I think for the Nets. My biggest criticism of the Nets last year when they made the Harden move was at the game of Jared Allen, who obviously is yeah. doing a great job in Cleveland and, and and you can see why he he was such a strong player. But the defense has been bad for the Nets, and so can a guy like Andre Drummond change that? Obviously Ben Simmons can if he's on this team and he's healthy, he should be able to change that as well. So that's that's a big question. Uh, yeah what is Ben Simmons going to look like once this offense gets going or once this team gets healthy? But I mean, Andre Drummond, they have a center there who's actually, you know, almost seven feet tall and can play more than 10 minutes. So that's, that's, that's honestly not nothing in today's NBA, unfortunately.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Cleveland. Uh, you've been a fan of their defense all season long. The, uh, I always used to say in, 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 uh, my hot, hot take radio brain, um, that, uh, Defense wins championships. Uh, offense sells tickets. Defense wins championships. I don't know if that's always true or universal, and maybe especially in the NBA, but um, you have to score enough. You can't be bad offensively. Do you like – That's to me, that's one of the things to watch, one of the second-half stories to watch. I know we love the Cleveland defense, but will it be enough?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a completely reasonable question, especially when you look at the fact tonight they let Hamadou Diallo score 21 off the bench for the Detroit Pistons. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are saying, who's Hamadou Diallo? exactly um <laughs> no offense no offense to him but he's a bit of bench player for a couple teams he, he yeah he had, a, he had a he had a really good slam dunk contest but he's not the guy who's putting up 21 points in 21 minutes off the bench against one of the best defensive teams to win a game for the detroit pistons that shouldn't happen so coming right out of the gate and the cavaliers just completely boofing it against the detroit pistons tonight is not what you want to see especially when right. it is. i mean it's the detroit pistons it's one thing if you lose a, you, know, you know a slog match in in the palace you know, in in the low 90s at this point, but you let the Pistons score 106 points on you, um, that's a bad start for Cleveland right right out of the gate. That's the last thing you want to see uh, for them because, again, their big thing if they're able to win games is going to be Jared Allen and Evan Mobley clogging up the paint and making problems for everybody. That's going to be the big thing. On the other hand, um, Bulls and Hawks just went final and we talked about it uh over the last couple of podcasts the incredible run of DeMar DeRozan. Um he continues that incredible run. He has now gone uh he yes, he went off for 37 tonight which means oh my his, gosh. <laughs> which means his current run this is incredible. His current run of 30 his current run of 30 point games now moves to so let me see here. So he has One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That was his ninth straight 30 point game. No, come on. It is his eighth straight 35 point or more performance. So DeMar DeRozan has gone absolutely wow. scorched earth before 16. the All Star Game. And then to come out of the All Star break and still say, Yeah, yeah, I know. I I I I had a I had an all star game, you know, I partied a lot. It was it was a lot of fun. Cleveland's a nice city. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and excuse me, I need to drop thirty seven here on the Atlanta <laughs> Hawks on eighteen shots. Oh my. There's no, there's no way. Oh, 21 shots. Excuse me, twenty-one shots. 21. He got, to, he got to the line just seven times. I mean, thirty-seven points for Demar Derozan. He keeps scoring. I'm, I, I'm. You know what? My prediction about the East completely changing. It's going to be wrong because when I made, <laughs> when I made that prediction, the the Bulls were tied for first. Um, they were losing by. And, uh, and for had, those had,
0: who don't remember, you thought that the standings over the next weeks or months would flip
1: completely. I, I there, where we were at in the standings. uh, I said that not a single team will be in the spot they're at right now at the end of the season. The, I'm going to be wrong because the bulls were tied for first, uh, at that point, and they're going to finish, I think, the Easton first. I mean, if they're able, wow. to, do this, if they're able wow. to do this when they're not even at full strength, when they're able to do this right now, when our boy Ayo is still playing 35 minutes per game as a starter for them, they're doing this without Lonzo Ball. They're doing yeah. this, this without Alex Caruso. So the fact that the offense of the Bulls has hit this level when the defense hasn't been able to be at full strength, it tells me that this Bulls team is the real deal right out of the gate. So, Demar Derozan keeps keeps just I mean knocking things down. If you're a fan of you know the uh, the mid range basketball like our man Earl Austin is, then the Chicago Bulls games right now are absolutely just just you appointment television because All right. his ability to score the ball is incredible. I, I saw during All Star game actually. Um, Luka Doncic walked up to DeMar, and he asked him, hey, have you ever missed a mid-range shot in a game? (laughs) And DeMar said, I I miss a couple here and there. And Luka's like, I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. So that's that's the point that Demar Derozan's at is when guys like Luka Doncic are wondering when the hell he ever misses a uh, mid range uh, oh, shot. That's great. Which that's I respect. love too because there was there was a while there where there was a running go- joke among uh, basketball writers that Sean Livingston had never missed uh, a twelve foot turnaround because it seemed like every time he took that little turnaround mid range jumper he was hitting it no matter what you did. Yeah. And Demar Derozan kind of in a much greater volume has kind of hit that already, so, you know, good good for Namaros and good for the Bulls. Like I said, it's so crazy to have multiple times in a row now where we've talked about the NBA and I've just wanted to talk about Eastern Conference teams. It's it's kind of insane. But at this point I really think the East is going to just be this absolute just like slobber knocker of a fight in the playoffs and whatever poor team bloodied and bruised, crawls their way to the NBA Finals from the East is going to be waiting for a Phoenix Suns team that's going to run them out of the freaking gym. It's going to be... I honestly think the Suns are are, are absolutely 100% going to be the Western uh, Finals representative, and they are going to have an... Either they're going to have a... Just like, you know, more like a Stanley Cup Final kind of team where they are just so... They are so just like honed an iron sharpened iron kind of situation where that yeah. East team is ready to just take on anybody or that team is going to be so battered and bloody and beat up getting to the finals the suns are going to absolutely just run any team they come up against that's honestly i think the well, most likely scenario in the nba right now
0: it's the first weekend past the all-star game i'm not ready to look and predict the finals, I would defer to you anyway. I am. But um, I've got a couple other teams that I like. I I, I, I kind of like to root a little more, maybe, than offer the analysis. And uh, so I'm going to predict that neither of those two make the finals.
1: Well, excuse me, sir.
0: Always bet the field.
1: Always bet the field. Always bet, Always the, bet field. the field. Yeah. Especially, especially in maybe the most parody-rich NBA we've seen in 20, a long, years. long time. Long, long, long time. time. Long so,
0: time. you got a couple, anything you're looking for for this weekend? Any highlight games?
1: Um, yes. The big one that I'm going to be watching is going to be um, Miami and the Knicks because, for some reason, the Knicks are still <sighs> um, relevant. And also, it's just it's the ESPN games right now are tomorrow night. The other ESPN game is uh, the, the battle in L.A., um, no Anthony Davis, no Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George. Um, I don't really care about watching the Lakers right now. Yeah. So watch the earlier ESPN game, um, if or or tape it, I should say, because um, you're going to be watching the slew game tomorrow uh, in that early slot. So Miami, New York, because as much as I'm not on them, um, everything I read, all the all the writers that I'm a big fan of, they can't stop talking about the run that the Heat are going to go on about how Tyler Hero uh, was was honestly kind of snubbed from the All Star game. I don't really agree with that. That statement, but that that's what people who you know watch even more than I do are saying, and so credit where credits due on that one. So I'm gonna be watching Miami and New York um, after um, on kind of on a tape delay, like it's the 1970s, and I'm watching the finals after Slew and uh, Richmond, um, Slu and Richmond. So that's gonna be my big one, and then. The big one that, you, that you're really going to want to watch is Saturday night, the ABC game is Brooklyn versus Milwaukee. Uh, the big Ooh. question, obviously, is going – yeah, the big question, and it's away game. It's in Milwaukee. So, uh, can will Kyrie Irving be suiting up? Will Ben Simmons be able to maybe get some uh, – get to the, the conditioning range they want him to this week to maybe get, you know, a run out there of 12, 15 minutes on Saturday night? But that's going to be a big question there. If the Nets – have either Kyrie or Simmons? That's going to be an interesting one to watch because yeah. you're going to start seeing the things that you know. You're going to start seeing implements, play sets, and those kind of things of what they're going to try to do once the team is fully like healthy. They... And then obviously Giannis and company with Milwaukee. I I, yeah. I really want to see what the second half is here for Milwaukee. I have accepted the fact that this first half for them. It, is a tune up and they and, and they don't have the pedal to the you know, they don't have the pedal on the gas yet. But now you're coming out of the break, second half's here. I gotta to see, yeah, I gotta start seeing a little bit more urgency, you know, from the Bucks and the fact that they've kind of changed up their their bench and when I I say change up, not you know, restock. That was the big thing that the uh Bucks were able to do last year is they kinda of restocked the edge of that bench and it came in really big handy in the finals run they made they weren't able to really do that this year so what is the team looking right now can they kind of putting start putting the, the foot on the gas a little bit and is the bench going to be enough for them for the long haul that's gonna be the big question for the bucks it'll be a good way to watch them right there on saturday night
0: so we've helped everybody with their weekend viewing you and go. hopefully whoever forever or for whomever you root hopefully you have some good games as we're down to the wire in college basketball and really oh, getting into it. W- the-
1: I will say because I'm talking all Eastern Conference. Sunday uh, is oh. is when is when the West actually gets fun. Utah and Phoenix is 2:30 p.m. I love I love Sunday afternoon basketball, yeah. after football. Yes. It, it's it's the best in the world. So 2:30 p.m. on Sunday when you're just kind of hanging around the house, uh, maybe the weather's gonna be a little bit nicer. Maybe you go nice for a little noon walk and then you come back for some NBA basketball. Utah and Phoenix again. If you haven't got a chance to watch Phoenix, this is another a, a great game. I'm always down on Utah, so I don't really care about them. Change your name, give it back to New Orleans. Um, completely different conversation, but nonetheless, I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, but can Phoenix continue to roll against one of the best teams in the West? Can the Jazz put up a fight that they really haven't in in head-to-head matchups this year? The Suns have really, you know, kind of taken care of them when they've been healthy this season. So that that's going to be anytime the, the Suns are going to be on. Anytime you can kick up your feet, maybe uh, maybe do a little. You know, light fifties barbecuing here in St. Louis while while you watch a Sunday afternoon game that that'll be perfect there as the Jazz and the Suns match up against each other.
0: Between the NBA and the college basketball, as 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 a lot of the mid majors wrapping up their seasons and um, the the high majors are getting it done and it's getting down to the wire for them. Um, you shouldn't have to watch any commercials all weekend. It could be all basketball, wall to wall. So it'll speaking, be a
1: lot of fun. Speaking of all basketball, we started we started recording this um, when uh, we were both kind of t- tuning into Belmont and Murray State. Murray State
0: seventy four forty
1: one. They completely kept that. I can't believe they kept that going and just ran them out the gym. That's they're, incredible. They're frighteningly good.
0: Re- they're really really good.
1: Also, and, and
0: Gonzaga. I'm...
1: I was. I... Yep. Francisco's I was, really was going to bring them up. And,
0: and Gonzaga's
1: incredible. You know, I watched uh, the other night, and, and uh, we're getting a little college basketball here. Um, that Providence game was incredible. I they're they're the they're probably the college basketball team that I have not watched any of prior to this game that I've been wanting to watch, but I just keep missing all their matchups. Providence was so much fun to watch.
0: They're good. They're really yeah, good. Yeah, they are.
1: Yeah, they are. That's that's as a mid major.
0: Team... As a mid-major honk, I think this is the year that I can that I can try and rally the flag around mid majors. Whether it's the Mountain West, whether it's the West Coast, the Big East. I mean, we got to get after it. Yes,
1: absolutely. You know, we're, we're feeling we're hey, feeling mid We're feeling the mid majors right now in St. Louis with the Lindenwood news, Bob.
0: That's exactly right. My Lions are Division One, and so was I a Division One player. All I'm going to say is, oh, is Lindenwood? Are they Division One? Yeah, I, I played there. <laughs> and leave it ambiguous. That's,
1: yeah, that's it. Um, no one should, No one looks up facts these days, Ramber. Just roll with it. That's exactly right.
0: That's exactly right. No, I'm really proud of my guys at Lindenwood for making that jump. And I'm proud of you, Matt Rocchio, for keeping us uh, excited and focused on the NBA. Hey, we'll hey, see thank you for doing uh, this,
1: Rambo. I, I, love, I love talking basketball with you every, twice a week. It's an we'll absolute see. pleasure.
0: Thanks, buddy. We'll probably go on Monday, so we'll wrap up the weekend. We'll see if I'm smiling or frowning, and um, we'll go from there. That's Matt Rocchio. I'm Bob Ramsey. It's been the two-man game on Claves Online. St. Louis Acura was the number one Acura dealer in Missouri in 2021, and we were the 17th in the nation for Acura sales volume. We sell over 100 pre-owned vehicles monthly, and we service all of the makes and models that we sell. We are waiting for verification of our 30th Acura Precision Team Award, the only dealer in the nation with so many awards for customer satisfaction and dealership performance. We have 300 pre-owned vehicles in stock right now. St. Louis Acura, better than ever for you.